welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Action. Let me fill my glass up with some fresh Sierra Nevada. I just did the same. Yeah. I just did the same. I'm on the powder day again. I just like that one. It's dry hop. It's fun. I need to get that. I haven't found that one yet. Man, I've just been crushing those hop waters. So good. Yeah, you're much healthier than I am. <laughs> Tonight, we have a song that I've been really excited to learn about, read about. Uh, I knew it was going to be cool, and it was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Because some of it I knew already but i was able to really dive in to this story and learn a lot and uh it was on my list it's been on my list since we started and the reason i picked this time to do it is because we had uh we had a mailbag from a a listener uh charles walls what's up charles um based on the timestamp of charles's email and his good morning greeting, I would guess he's based in Australia or New oh. Zealand because I got it at night. <laughs> good day. So I believe he's somewhere in that hemisphere, uh, I, w- I was guessing. Cool. Uh, so I'd already been thinking about doing it and um, turned out, as you'll see, the timing was impeccable. This, mm-hmm. is what, this is what Charles suggested that we cover and I'm so excited to dive into it. Wow. What a jam. Total jam. Good summer jam. This is a good summer jam and a good jam to sell used cars to. <laughs> what? It's in like tons of cars commercials. Is, is it? it? If it's not, it feels like it is. <laughs> Hot prices. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a, like a grocery store commercial like... We had $2 Campbell soup cans. Hey! <laughs> 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 I'm telling you it's a thing. Uh... Well, this is Hot, Hot, Hot from 1987. Great choice. Hey, well, my birth year. Look at that. Oh, do you know who sings this, uh, this song I just played you? I don't know shit about this song. Okay, great. Uh, this song I just played is by Buster Poindexter. Oh, okay. Do you know who Buster Poindexter is? I do, but not well. By okay. name, I guess maybe it really only. Okay. Well, what a name. Yes, what a name. We'll get into that. Buster Poindexter was born David Roger Johansson mm. in New York City in 1950. Another New Yorker who changed his name from David to something else. Yes. Uh, he was born specifically in Staten Island. Mm. Uh, his mom was a librarian and his dad was an opera singer turned insurance salesman. Okay, wow. He had five brothers and sisters and attended Catholic school, though he was eventually kicked out. Um. Okay, Buster. Pretty much all he heard at home growing up was opera and classical, and it drove him nuts. He said his dad would be dressed in army fatigues, guessing he was a vet. 
painting the house, blasting opera. <laughs> and his friends would like roll up on their bikes and just be totally freaked out because his dad's like singing at the top of his lungs on a ladder, painting the house and his army fatigues. <laughs> I just feel like I don't spend a lot of time in Staten Island, but I'm just saying the story doesn't terribly surprise That me. checks out. Yeah, totally so. checks out. Yeah. Uh, David joined his first band at age 13 in 1963. They were called the Vagabond Missionaries. He says they would often play in... Poindexter would be way better, but I guess that's not his name yet. Uh, He says they would often play in Battle of the Bands competitions, and they would always come in second, because there was another group from Staten Island who used to play guitar solos with their guitars behind their heads. Oh, well, can't compete against that. He thought it was a dumb gimmick, but they always won. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any recorded music from the Vagabond Missionaries. I don't think it exists. So they were like 13. But uh, during his first performance singing in the band, David closed his eyes for the whole first song out of nervousness. And then when everyone applauded, he opened them up and thought, oh, people like this? Cool. Fuck yeah. The rest is history. When he was 16, David started a soul cover band in which he sang as Fast Eddie. And okay. uh, he was also starting to act in small theater. I couldn't find any Fast Eddie recordings either. Um, when he was 18, he was hanging around a lot at Max's Kansas City. Has that come up yet on this podcast? That bar? Uh, you know about Max's Kansas City? It sounds vaguely familiar, so I don't know if that's from the podcast or... It was a, it was a classic New York City rock club. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of our favorite, most influential rock bands played there until it closed in the 80s. Um, you know, tons of stories about the Ramones and the Replacements, etc. It's like pretty equivalent to CBGB, I would say. Oh, you know where I might have read that was in uh, the, the Moby memoir I just finished. That totally makes sense. He probably hung yeah. out there. Yeah. I feel like it was it was like CBGB, but less, a little less punk. So they had some other stuff going on there. Sure. Um, David was also hanging around at St. Mark's Place. Mm-hmm. A popular street in the East Village, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I used to live right around the corner. Yeah. It was uh, here where he was recruited for a short time into the Up Against the Wall motherfuckers. This sure, was yeah. an avant-garde political group. Are you familiar with them? I'm not, but oh. New York in the 80s or, or <laughs> even 70s. 70s was fucking wild, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I guess this this would have been late 60s. This was an avant-garde political group formerly called Black Mask, which was associated with the anti-Vietnam War Angry Arts. The group was fairly <laughs> anarchical, though its main mantra was that revolutionary art was an integral part of life as in primitive society and not an appendage to wealth. The name Up Against the Wall Motherfuckers, not to be confused with the Ray Wiley Hubbard song famously performed by Jerry Jeff Walker, Up Against the Wall Redneck Mothers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it came from a poem by a black liberation writer, Amiri Baraka. I saw a sign of theirs while uh, learning about this that read, flower power won't stop fascist power. So you get they, the idea. They ain't wrong. Uh, David at the time was climbing street poles and instigating tussles with the police. His mom called him a commie dupe, <laughs> which he kind of agreed with. <laughs> All right. Uh, One day while at home in 1971, when David was 21, he got a knock on the door. And there was a guy whom he describes as looking like a big Viking who was there with a smaller Colombian man. This is in a a very small apartment building in uh, in Staten Island. He thought, I got to watch out for these guys. Could be trouble. (laughs) They asked him, we heard you like to sing. 
And he said, yeah, I occasionally sing. And they responded with, we're trying to start a band and we need a singer. <laughs> so David agreed to go with them and jam. They went over to their friend and guitarist, Johnny Gonzalez's apartment. Gonzale is more famously known as Johnny Thunders. Oh. The Viking and the Colombian guy were bassist Arthur Killer Kane and drummer Billy Mercia. The fifth member of this band was guitarist Sylvain Mizrahi, better known as Sylvain Sylvain. Their band oh. was called Actress, and David joined the group as the vocalist. Okay. Some things, like com- I... things coming to mind here? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I know these names more than I know. Keep, keep going. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm like sold now. <laughs> they, uh, they played their first show on Christmas Eve at a homeless shelter. Sure. And soon started playing more shows around New York, gaining a cult following for their fast-playing, menacing stage presence and party attitudes, coupled with their drag queen-inspired wardrobe and makeup, which was revolutionary for an all-male rock band in the early 70s. Fuck yeah. David has said they wanted to be an image of camaraderie and community for all the kids that felt like they didn't belong, to help them feel like they're a part of something. It also looked very cool. Sure. And yeah. at some point in this early stage of the band, they changed their name to the New York Dolls. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, wow. How the fuck did this become a <laughs> I am very intrigued. Uh, I was so excited to tell this one. The album art is amazing. So good. And, like, super revolutionary back then. So revolutionary. Fuck yeah. The music, too. I mean, think about it. This was 1972. Wait, so who's our boy here in this uh, album cover? Uh, he's in the middle. Love it. Yeah. That's David Johansson. So good. Wow. Yeah. Would never have guessed. <laughs> We'd go from <laughs> here to Olay Olay. I'm very <laughs> So they landed a manager. Uh, and then Rod Stewart invited them to open for him. So wow. th- things were happening. But before they could make their second album, uh, unfortunately, drummer Billy Mercia drowned in a bathtub at a party in England. Uh, so they had a bit of a setback. This was the first of a number of tragedies that would hit the members of the New York Dolls over the coming decades. They spent time searching for a replacement, and they found Jerry Nolan, and then signed a deal with A&M Records to record their self-titled debut album, which was produced by none other than a young Todd Rundgren. No shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he had a few credits, but wasn't, wasn't who we know him as now. Uh, the album did okay when it came out. Uh, Critics and rock fans were unable to understand what exactly the band was going for. It was a little too ahead of its time at that sure. moment, uh, visually and sonically. In a Cream Magazine poll, they were elected both best and worst new group of 1973. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. This one I know. I don't know a lot of the catalog. The catalog is only two albums, so... There you go. I know it's more of like the the, the band proceeds themselves. Yeah, but. yeah, but yeah. This is the big hit, which at the time wasn't a hit, but over time has been. But also, this video just totally encapsulates them. They're so cool. So cool. I wonder what the uh, opera singing dad thought. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't like read anything about like if they were supportive or. or whatnot. I, I can see it going either way. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so they continue to play and support Bigger Axe on tour, and they released a second album called Too Much Too Soon in 1974 on Mercury Records. And on this album, David uh, impersonated some different characters while they were singing some of the novelty covers on the album. I'll send this one along, which I think is a good example of that. Critics across the country have called them outrageous, bizarre, and a lot of the critics have called them incredibly talented. We'd like you to determine for yourself tonight on Rock Concert the true talents of the New York Dolls. The show is called Rock Concert. Thing. Yeah. I think menacing is such a great word for them. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a very intense. It's like very intoxicating. It's like, it is. Super intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a performer for sure. Uh, whole band. I'm not familiar with the song. Uh, who is this? Uh, it's a. It's like a pretty deep cut, I think. It's a. It's a cover. Oh. But it's by the cadets. Yeah, that's who it is. It's just like I think it was just a novelty song. They they covered. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the jungle. So this the second album, uh, too much too soon, received mostly positive reviews. Uh, though it's now a cult classic and a blueprint for what would become the punk rock and glam rock musical movements, respectively, things were not going well within the camp on the road. Aside from David, the other members of the band's drug habits were getting out of hand and creative differences were starting to show. Uh, there's so many stories about what was going on on that tour uh, that it would be an entire, it would be an entire episode. Like there's so much crazy stuff. Um, By 1975, Malcolm McLaren, he may be familiar with, he would two years later introduce the world to the sex pistols. He had become their acting manager, but the band was starting to be a revolving door of members due to arguments and drug related absences. David and Sylvain continued with the group, but it was soon over. Their final show was on December 30th, 1976 at Max's Kansas City with Blondie. Oh, wow. Full circle. Full circle and also December 30th, 1976. And then 1977 is the year everyone says punk broke. They were over just just before it started. Um, Johnny Thunders and second drummer Jerry Nolan went on to form the Heartbreakers, not Tom Petty's Heartbreakers, but the excellent punk band that's also highly influential. I certainly recommend giving them a listen. It's great stuff. Bassist Arthur Killer Kane, who knocked on David's door to join the band, played many bands after the Dolls, including Sid Vicious's short-lived solo endeavor after the Sex Pistols broke up. However, he never really found his way with a long-term project. I'll have more on that later. Mm, As you could guess, frontman David Johansson embarked on a solo career. In 1977, David recorded his debut solo album, featuring his backing band, the Staten Island Boys, which also featured Sylvain from the Dolls. 
It was a critical success. A 1978 New Yorker feature called David Staten Island's First Rockstar. The album was released on Blue Sky Records, a sub-label of Columbia that was run by Johnny and Edgar Winter. Uh, the most enduring song from the album is probably Frenchette, which is a terrific song. A lot of music in this one. He's a good-looking dude. Very good-looking dude. It's already so different. It's so different. It's so good. There's a performance of him playing this. I think while he was still in the New York Dolls acoustic at a club in New York, like on a guitar, it's so good. It's like glam rock meets Springsteen. Yeah, totally is. I could totally hear the. I actually wonder if Springsteen is a New York Dolls guy. I can, I can totally see it. Um, Once it gets going, it has like a total like British rock vibe too. Like his voice is very like Keith Richard. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of Stones influence. Uh, though there's a there's a quotation. Actually, I think it was from Morrissey. The Morrissey Morrissey is a massive New York Dolls fan and. Um, wrote a book about them pre-Smiths. Oh, wow. He also ran the Cramps fan club before he was in the Smiths. Um, and he said something like, Mick Jagger learned all of his moves from David Jones. Oh, wow. Which, uh, I mean, as far as timeline goes, doesn't make sense. But, <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought it was a funny quotation. Uh, so now's probably a good time, now that you know who David Johansson is, to tell you that serendipity really struck with the timing of this episode. Mm. I didn't know this prior to starting work on the episode, but it turned out that literally last month was the release of a documentary about David, directed by David Tedeschi and Martin Scorsese. Wow. (laughs) The film's called Personality Crisis, One Night Only, and I watched it last night. Amazing. And it it was fantastic. It was really good. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, It's a typical Scorsese music doc. Like it centers around a concert that David performed in January, 2020 uh, with interviews and archival footage. And, you know, it's a Scorsese music treatment. It's like you see a song performed and then there's interviews and there's archival footage and another song. Um, Certainly worth a watch. Uh, Not only is music great, David's so charismatic and fun in it. Um, Just wanted to, point out that i've pulled a i've already pulled a lot from it and there'll be a lot more right sure gathered a lot it's like two hours so it was very helpful in my research and uh yeah everything just worked out in this episode it's kind of interesting i love that so david released a few more solo albums all with pretty distinct musical concepts he did a doo-wop album with famed r&b producer mick ronson Oh, wow. And then a Motown influence album in style in 1981, which was supposedly lyrically inspired by David's then wife, Surendra Fox, leaving him for Steven Tyler. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, in the Scorsese documentary, David says that around this time he was touring with heavy metal bands and also pop rock artists like Pat Benatar. And he felt like, and I quote, all the fans were looking at me like I was some sort of bug. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, I mean, he never, like, sounds like he's just hopping around the different styles, like, doing whatever he wanted. It's hard to build a fan base and it's hard to build the... Yeah, I think, I think message. he... Yeah, he was, a, he was a critical darling. He was a... I mean, New York, New York Dolls were a band's band, so... Sure. He's opening these shows. He's probably a little older than people he's opening for, um, and they don't know him, and they're just like, who's this bug? <laughs> <laughs> um. David released a more commercial pop record in 1982 called Here Comes the Night, 
which marked David's first departure from working with Sylvain. Sylvain only co-wrote one song on the album and didn't perform on it. Um, instead, David co-wrote many of the songs with South African musician Blondie Chaplin, who had previously played in the Beach Boys and as a touring member of the Rolling Stones. Hmm. Also in 83, David released a live album called Live It Up, featuring him and what was now called the David Johansson Band, performing songs from his solo albums, a couple doll songs including Personality Crisis, several soul covers including Build Me Up Buttercup, and then a track that was a medley of songs by influential early 60s rock band The Animals, whom the Dolls had toured with in the early 70s. In the sturdy old part of the city Buster Poindexter Vibra. Yeah. It begins. Yeah. People tell me there ain't no use in trying. He's such a like, theatrical performer. He really is. He's so engaging. The band kicks ass too. But like totally taking on the roles, like playing the character. Oh yeah. This is great. Yeah. yeah. So it's three three animal songs. Uh, this video became a staple on early MTV, the live oh, video, yeah. yep. and thus brought about radio airplay of the medley. It reached number 22 on the mainstream rock airplay chart, yeah. all of which means it probably could have been its own episode if there were more information yeah. and a story behind it other than him just being like, yeah, the animals are cool. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, that was super early MTV. I think they're just looking for cool stuff to play, and he was such a sure. New, York, New York staple at that time that, like, course they're gonna play that fuck yeah uh david then released a disco tinged album sure called sweet revenge <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean whatever was hot yeah. <laughs> uh that was in 1984 actually yeah whatever was like six years before <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right uh it flopped big time yeah. um and it was time to it's time to rethink things a little bit so david went back to his home in manhattan for some downtime oh he uh, moved into the big city He's been there for a bit, yeah. He's taken yeah. the ferry. I think, huh? I think. I think since New York Dolls started to take off, he was he was in Manhattan. Uh, it's not very punk rock to live in Staten Island. Yeah, and at this time, it was punk rock to live in Manhattan. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, true. Probably more punk rock now to live in Staten Island. There is a uh, club on Fifteenth Street called Tramps. Are you familiar with Tramps? Sounds familiar. It's not around anymore, but I saw that they moved to a new location sometime, like maybe like 10 years ago, and then it didn't work out. Is the venue uh, still there, though? Uh, or like I, the, don't, the, I don't know like if it the turned... Space? The space is still there. I don't know if it turned into anything else. The last photo I saw, it was blank. Like, there was nothing on the storefront. Uh, it's on mm-hmm. 15th Street. It, it was kind of a blues and jazz place, and then was later a rock and punk venue, like kind of starting in the 80s, and tons of famous rock and punk bands played there. Um, David would hang out there, so right down the street, and he noticed they never had shows on Mondays. So he asked them if he could come sing a few songs sometime to get back into things. Since it had a lounge vibe, he showed up in a tuxedo with a pompadour hairstyle and sang cabaret songs, pop standards, novelty tunes, jump blues, and more. Fuck it. Uh, he had so much fun that he booked every upcoming Monday at Tramps <laughs> under the pseudonym. Buster Poindexter. Fancy clothes, oh. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. And he put together a band called the Banshees of Blue. Okay. So he's just like... He what, goes, what is he? Like, he loves music, clearly. <laughs> like, he's just... I'm trying to think of who I would compare him to now. Like, is there any comparison to someone that's just like a... Like, maybe like a Father John Misty that just like... I could totally see... on personas and like... I could totally see Father John Misty being a, a David Johansson fan. That totally makes sense. Absolutely. I just, I mean... I, I, I think, think especially like, like that Animals video. Like, that's very Father yeah. John Misty. Otherwise, yeah, it's totally like kind that. of career suicide to do anything like this now. <laughs> yeah. like, you just can't yeah. do this, like jump around, do whatever you want anymore. Are people aware? Yeah, people. Are people aware that he's the same person? Uh, I think most most people who are familiar at all with David Johansson know that he's Buster Poindexter. Okay. I think a lot of people who know Hot 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 have no fucking clue who's that. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, hair, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure there right are now. people who huge. just know him as Buster Poindexter and don't know any of the other stuff. Um, but they probably, probably still too. know it's like a, 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 an act. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, or they just think that he that's him. So dude, I don't know. So strange. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so, um, yeah, he had, he had so much fun there. He started booking every Monday. And then words words started else going on Mondays. Why not? Words started getting around, and soon it was one of the hottest gigs in New York City, with a line around the block every week. What's the time period? This is early eighties. Um, and it started to pay better than like the support slots he'd be doing on the road or like the small clubs he was doing. So he just stuck around Manhattan singing lounge songs for a while, (laughs) and eventually it evolved in. Uh, it evolved to include genres like Calypso, jazz, Roomba, Bossa Nova, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Um, just stuff that he enjoyed singing and that crowds would dance to. Like, after a while, like, he's, he's just, gone like, through so many different iterations of musical genres already. Like, yeah. So he's just a music fan, I guess. And like, he's, yeah, he's just a music fan. He just loves to sing. Like, that's his, that's his thing. Wow. Um, okay. In a New York Times article from 1984 about the weekly gigs, David or Buster said, when I was on the road touring as David Johansson, of course, I would occasionally bring a couple of guys from my band down to the Holiday Inn lounges and ask if we could do a couple songs. <laughs> and the whole thing kind of grew from there. It was originally just a way to do fun songs. Songs I like, songs for adults, is what he says. <laughs> so it appears as kind of a continuation of like a fun joke thing on tour. Um, and you can hear this in the live album, as well as that second New York Dolls album, because they were like, covering novelty songs and he's doing all these crazy voices i feel like this is like really kind of his calling yeah um it's great because that new york times article also includes this info the number to call for details and reservations for buster poindexter is 777-5077 tramps is at 125 east 15th street just east of irving place (laughs) (laughs) did you call no <laughs> I wonder what that this number is. is uh, who else did we have that had a phone number you could call? Is this Tramps? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was uh it was Monster Mash guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Boris. Too many episodes. You can call Man- you can call his manager who's still around. Yeah. Eventually, the popularity of these gigs landed David a new record deal as Buster Poindexter with RCA. Sure. He recorded the self titled album with his Banshees of Blue band plus the Uptown Horns, and had special guests like Patty Scalfa and Susie Tyrell from the E Street Band 
Oh. Bruce Connection. There, yeah. I mean, he knows the shit. Uh, Definitely. The album is mostly obscure cover songs, with a few Johansson originals, as well as another Animals cover. This time, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, is Which is traditional folk song, but Animals made it famous. We don't have time to get into that. You know what's hot, hot, hot? A fresh cup of Dark Matter coffee. Our friends at Dark Matter in Chicago, Illinois, are making some of the most exceptional coffee that we've ever had. Believe me, I drank a lot of it when I was researching this episode. And they're giving you a good deal on trying their coffee out. If you head to their website, darkmattercoffee.com, and enter the code WANTEDAHITCAST, that's all one word, WANTEDAHITCAST, you'll get free shipping on Dark Matter Coffee Beans delivered right to your door. One of the more obscure covers, at least in America, on this album, was of a song by Alphonsus Celestine Edmund Cassell, who was a monsteration calypso and soca musician regarded as the first music superstar in montserrat which is a caribbean sovereign state in the leeward islands that's a british overseas territory wow it's you a- said so many words that i didn't understand <laughs> wow okay uh it's a volcanic island that's only 16 kilometers long soca music is a subgenre of calypso which has influences of African and East Indian rhythms. It originated in Trinidad and Tobago in the 1970s. Alphonsus performed under the name Arrow in honor of the mighty Sparrow, the foremost Trinidadian Calypsonian of the post-war era. So let's check out an Arrow song. Okay. Just to get a little, little flavor for what Arrow's doing. Please. It's very cool. It's party music. Alright, that was fun. Very fun. He's great. Alright. I'm seeing our uh, our bridge here. Soka. So this is Soka. Yes. Yeah, this is Soka. Yeah. He was uh, regarded as the first music superstar in Montserrat. So after releasing a few albums, Arrow began to fuse Calypso and Soka music with R&B, Salsa, and other international genres. This brought upon criticism from many in the Calypso scene, as they thought he was desecrating the genre, like every other genre ever. Everyone is a little uptight so about he it. Is, he's the snow oh, God. of the early 80s. He's the snow <laughs> of the Caribbean. Um, however, some did recognize that it helped spread the music internationally and to younger audiences. In 1982, Arrow wrote and recorded the song Hot, Hot, Hot. Woo! Uh, so it's the song. Yeah. So here. Yes. It is. It is very much a cover of Arrow's Hot Hot. I know. So, anyway, Arrow's version, the, the song Hot 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 by Arrow. Uh, spread like crazy in dance clubs in the Caribbean, which, like many other songs, reached the UK after that. Uh, because of so many people from the Caribbean and the UK living in both places, moving place to place. Um, Hot 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 soon became a signature song at the world-famous Notting Hill Carnival, an annual Caribbean festival in London. And it could be heard on sound systems and radio stations all over the UK and the Caribbean and then further across Europe. 
It then reached global status when it was made the official anthem of the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. Oh, wow. Um, Arrow's version of the song is estimated to have sold more than 4 million copies and reached number 38 on the UK charts. Wow. As we know, now, Buster covered the song in 1987, just after the World Cup. Sure, yeah. The song must have been fucking huge. So that's what I was thinking. Then I was like, wait, I don't think this song was big in the U.S. at all. Because it was really, like, in some circles, definitely. In some communities and in some, you know, folks who listen to cool shit. But um, the World Cup and professional soccer... Wouldn't have been that big. Not that popular. In fact, the 1986 World Cup attracted only 2.4 million live spectators across 52 matches. An average of 46,000 per match. Wow. Compare that to the 2022 World Cup, in which 26 million Americans watched the final alone. That's crazy. Yeah. It's grown a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so 10 times more viewers watch the final than watch the entire world cup in 1986 damn so right. we've come a long way so, yeah, so nobody would this song would not have gained traction as much as they would now yeah i think it would actually might have been hard to watch the world cup at the time i don't know if it was on cable or what the deal was about the song itself hot 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 buster says i've been down in the caribbean doing buster so he was there playing joe's yeah as buster which i also am wondering just playing in all these New York clubs and then just went to the Caribbean to do shows, which is great, before his first album came out. Okay. Um, but I said, also love how he says, doing Buster. Like, I, yeah. I, was, a, I was a character. Yeah. So it's, it's David saying this. Yeah. Uh, and he says, we heard that song everywhere for a week, and I thought, that's a cool song. Let's play that when we get home. And sure. he said that they played it live and it was fun, so they recorded it. That was it. Wow. Um, Buster's version stays faithful to Arrow's but introduces some rock instrumentation, as you would imagine. Uh, and the reason the song got popular is kind of a perfect storm of Arrows reaching its global peak when David heard it. And then MTV picking up the music video from RCA. Oh, uh, I mean, it's 86, so it's like super early. They're looking for cool shit to play. Yeah. Um, David's a rock legend already. Um Whomever it was at RCA that decided to release this song as a single and make a video was a genius. Because <laughs> there's so well, many songs on that record that are covers and, you know, he, he does he does well-known stuff. He does New York Doll stuff. He does some originals. I don't know if it was him. I really don't know. Wouldn't be surprised if it was him. But somebody was like, that's the song. Let's make a video. Yeah. Well, and you also have to imagine, not to give like, too much credit to MTV in the situation, but like... At the time when MTV was just coming out, I'm sure there's a handful of people that are deciding what goes on air. They all live in New York. Mm-hmm. They're all in the New York club scene and, and almost nothing else. Like even stuff that's happening in UK or LA, whatever, like doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Whatever's happening in your back door in New York City at that time is getting put on air. Totally. So it yeah, easily could have been someone sense. going to these shows on Monday nights, bringing their friends out and being like, Let's fucking make a video out of this. Let's put this on. Like, why not? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure those MTV folks were going to his Buster shows in in Manhattan. Like, definitely. Also, find it interesting that it was early MTV when they were being criticized for not playing a lot of black music. 
in fact, David Bowie, there's a famous interview with David Bowie where he's like, Hey, oh, yeah. you guys yeah, be yeah. playing more black music. What's going on here? Um, and then I don't think it's any slight against David, but they're playing David covering this Calypso song <laughs> right. by a black artist and not playing the black artist video. Like, it's just a very interesting time for MTV. Is there a video like they, were bo- they were like ahead of the time, but ahead, but behind the times at the same time. Right. Yeah. But there's no video of Arrow. There's no video of Arrow. At the time. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a bit of the, probably the, the handcuffs that they're in. Yeah, that's that, too. Like, uh, there's probably plenty of black artists who didn't have videos, and yeah. but also know there were a bunch that were getting played at the time. So, yeah, complicated issue. Sure. Um, but uh, we're gonna watch the video for for David slash Buster's version of the song, and I gotta say, it's it's actually so perfect for MTV at the time because the beginning does such a great job of showing David's transformation from a New York doll to Buster. Oh, this like alter ego lounge singer you'll see it's it's really cool that's mark some of you older kids may remember this uh about 15 years ago as a matter of fact i was in a band called the new york dolls now look at some of these outfits I mean, we used to wear some really outrageous clothes you know these heavy metal bands in la don't have the market cornered on wearing their mother's clothes so now like i'm into this really refined and dignified kind of a situation i'm playing music that's so soft yeah. and sweet. I mean, you can sit by the fireplace and listen to it. You can have a little glass of wine, maybe, or you could even have dinner with this music. Come on, I'll show you. This the the intro is like a super famous MTV moment. Like people remember, they're like, "Oh, I remember him being on MTV explaining this." That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, he's talking underneath the uh, FDR Drive here. And I don't know if it's the lighting. He's on the Manhattan side. And I'm just the lighting, but the undercarriage of the highway is just like, mm. it looks like it's like the baby blue, which is cool because they recently repainted it like two years ago to be this like lilac purple color. And I fucking love it. I think it's the coolest thing about New York City right now. And I was just like, this is just cool, New York. This is what New York's doing. In- 2022 or whatever um but maybe it's a throwback Man. to what the original color it might be yeah yeah because the lighting here looks this blue but it could be this purple lilac it's like so striking from the water when huh. you look at it the entire city is lined, but it's like purple lilac and it's like yeah. it feels very like random and new age i searched for buster poindexter hot hot, hot video buster poindexter hot hot, hot mtv couldn't find much about like how they made the video, but I just love that they did this intro. It's it's so of the time, but it's really cool. It's awesome. Like I saw several like comments and stuff that were like, as a kid watching MTV, he was like inviting me into his world, and that's also how a lot of people found the New York Dolls. It's so great. I mean, this is awesome, and this feels like it's being yeah. filmed right in the streets of like Nolita or something. Could easily be the the set for Sesame Street as well. <laughs> you can tell he's playing a character. Definitely. I mean, even him introducing yeah. it is like, I'm going to play yeah. a thing. Oh, he's laying on the Staten Island accent too. In that part, yeah. Ugh, shout out for Cannon and Mickey D here in Times Square. <laughs> His singing is a little like sounds kind of parody, like white dude doing Caribbean music. 
but I actually think that he was just enjoying singing it so much that that's just how he did it. Well, it's how it comes across to me, and and also just like after watching so much about him and learning so much about him, more than I already knew. But part of me wondered if he's doing it on purpose to make sure that people know that he's like not being like he wants to be sincere right. for the song and for the artist, so he's playing it up like as like he's insincere. the joke. Like he's yeah. like that's fish out of water. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's down in Chinatown now. Oh, did you notice a cameo at uh, two ten? Is that Bill Murray? That's Bill Murray. I thought it was. Yeah. Wild. How did that happen? I'll tell you in a second. I mean, also he—he's. I love that he's like including everybody in this video. Like everybody that you would see in New York is in this video. Good job. Also, this. This video is why, probably unbeknownst to him before, when he made this, this is why you hear this song a lot when you do the limbo. Because <laughs> oh. I do limbo the video. <laughs> he, he does the video. It's like, dude, can I throw something out there? Uh, was Jim Carrey a fan? I don't know. You could kind of see like the, the face contortions and the... It's give me a lot. And the big hair. Like, the big the hair. Big hair, even the way he does things, like he bit his hand at one point, which is like so Jim Carrey esque. So interesting. But this would have been pre Jim Carrey in those types of roles, right? Or maybe like. I never even considered that. Simultaneously? Uh, hey, listeners, Google uh, Jim Carrey Buster Point Dexter and let us know. <laughs> yeah, come up with. Um, this is one of the best videos I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so good. It's so enjoyable. It's so fun. I've never, I've never seen this. This is so great. Oh, oh, the ending. What's that? What's happening? I don't know. He's just at the end, like, what a party! Yeah. Like that's about, that's like, you know, you have a huge party at your house, and afterward, you're like, damn, that was a big party. That's how he looks. I love that. That's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's very, it's, it's very good. Makes me enjoy the song more too. I really, I always thought this song was just some like dumb commercial gimmick song. Maybe because I, I I know that I've seen it in like stupid local commercials. Maybe I'm like combining other yeah. things. Yeah, I don't know, but no, I mean it's definitely been in a lot of things uh, that are not as artistically uh, well thought out as what David was doing or what Arrow was doing. Um, the song's music video was, as I said, very popular. It was it was nominated for uh, one of the first MTV VMAs. Oh wow. Um, which is just crazy to think about too that this was like being played on MTV. I I saw somebody comment that I saw this on MTV every hour on the hour. <laughs> like uh and they were also playing that animals thing that he did a couple Wow. He says the music's soft and sweet. Listen to it by the fireplace. It's just this huge erupting <laughs> party. It's very cool. Um but yeah, Bill Murray is is in the video. Um we we will get into some of uh Buster's SNL connections in a second. Oh. But Shortly oh, so after, Bill Murray would have been on SNL at this time. Uh, I believe it would have been around the same time. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But shortly after this, um, David was in the film Scrooged, Bill Murray film. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you've seen it, uh, he plays the Ghost of Christmas Past. Does he? Yeah. He's like oh, a cab driver. Wow. Ghost, of, Ghost of Christmas Past in that movie. Um, it's been it's been so. a year since I've seen this. Good movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark, pretty weird, but it's good. He looks crazy. Oh shit! Movie. It is him. Yeah, yeah. Huh. 
That's him. He's good in it too. That's awesome. To me, he always had like a, a real like Tom Waits thing going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, visually, kind of way he carries himself. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, where do you think Buster Poindexter's hot, hot, hot peaked on the Billboard Hot 100? I'm going to go 17. You gave it a little more credit on mm-hmm. the Hot 100. Nearly six months after the release of the single, it finally debuted on the Hot 100 uh, a couple weeks before Christmas. 1987 at number 95 and then the week of february 13th 1988 it just missed reaching the top 40 and spent a week at number 45 and it was uh david and busters dave and buster (laughs) dave and busters only time on the hot 100 uh I mean, I mentioned the other song made what number eleven on modern rock, so he he he's done well and is obviously a revered rock and roller. But uh, only time in the Hot One Hundred. If nothing else, I'm excited for Arrow because Arrow made more money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Arrow did very well with this. Um, I do have the February thirteenth, nineteen eighty-eight chart. Want to have the top ten here? There. Uh man number 10 on its way up she's like the wind patrick swayze yeah uh we have don't shed a tear by paul karak we have say you will by foreigner wait do we know that don't say a shed a tear i don't think so look it up it's just an 80s ballad hazy shade of winter by the Bengals. need you tonight in excess Ooh. What have I done to deserve this? Pet Shop Boys and Dusty Springfield. Mm. Didn't know they had a song together. I don't think I'd either. That's cool. Uh, Hungry Eyes, oh. Eric Carmen. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> uh, I Want to Be Your Man, Roger Troutman. Roger Troutman rules. It's a great song. That, wait, um, which one's that? Uh, you would know it. You know uh, Zapp and Roger? Roger Troutman. I want to be your man. All the all the Moog vocoder shit. Oh yeah, that's all their stuff. Hold on. That's a cool song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the pre West Coast hip hop stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, Seasons change by Expose. Oh yeah, it's so number two, and number one is Tiffany. Torn the malls with could have been. <laughs> I saw uh, Tiffany. Tiffany was my. Uh. Second concert ever went to Tiffany. What was Tiffany at a mall? No, she opened for Cher. Oh shit! Nice. Wow. You were like, Mom, I just want to go see female artists with one name. Well, it was all I want. uh, It was. It was kind of the opposite. So my dad brought me to Elton John my first show. Right, I knew that. Yeah, and my mom, like two months later, brought me to to Cher with Tiffany. (laughs) So. <laughs> what year share was this? What era are we talking? Do you believe? Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. shit. That's awesome. I mean, I'm sure she played all the hits. So. Mm-hmm. so, also notable on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, the chart dated March 5th, 1988. The last week on the chart for Buster Poindexter's Hot, Hot, Hot. The Cure debuted with their own Unrelated. Hot, hot, hot. Oh. Which is a big hit for them. Yeah. Uh, and I saw The Cure two nights ago. How was that? And uh, this tour is unreal. Like, just so good. I didn't know they were playing. And I saw 
people posting it. I'm so mad at it. So it is kind of notable that like they they just missed each other on the charts, having two hot hot hots. It's funny. One by the Carrie, one by Buzzard Poindexter. Two different songs Very different. around the same time. Yeah. Um, the Cure song is from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, which is one of the best Cure albums, in my opinion. Um, as far as covers, samples, remixes, there was a remix of the song that was a little dancier that hit number 11 on the Billboard dance chart. Oh. There was also a 12-inch remix that was a little longer. And I do know that in that version, Buster says hot, hot, hot 137 times. <laughs> kind of hard to determine which songs are samples of this or of the original it's impossible really like yeah busters does have a little more like american rock instrumentation but like it's hard to tell um of course it's all going to arrow it's his song yeah um there's a few artists that have done it that are like oh i know who they are but nothing super notable to play um you know an enduring song the snl connection throughout this time I think it was just like late, late night New York culture in the eighties. They all knew each other. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like, like if like he was they, such a big thing in the eight, in like on Monday nights, that was his thing. Yeah, everyone fucking knew him. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Lauren Michaels was and at the show a bunch of times. You know, like yeah. any any Booker at a club was at that show. Anyone from MTV yep. was at the show. Any anyone from a label. Was that one of those Monday nights? Everyone's aware of him. Yeah, because other people are there. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, everyone's going to the Buster Show. And I, I also think that Monday night, that's a big industry night. Like yeah, people who totally work in entertainment, yeah. Monday night, you're not working, you're going out. Yeah. That's that's your night to go out. Sunday, Monday. Um so somehow he ended up with the whole SNL uh having a big connection with SNL. Sure. And um he would sing with the Saturday Night Live band and lead the band sometimes oh, uh, as Buster Poindexter. And he would sometimes perform with guests, including this 1986 duet of Baby It's Cold Outside with somebody you may recognize. I'd seen this before. I just like didn't realize the connection. I mean, he is like acting as like a full-on cast member, like in a sense. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Also, Sigourney sounds great. I don't think I've ever heard her sing. She does sound good. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Buster Poindexter. Are they, uh, are they already hinting on the fact that this is a totally rapey song? And I think they're joking on that for sure. Yeah, he's he's being creepy. <laughs> and you know Sigourney be hip to that. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's so, like, it's not overly dramatic in a way. No. It's, no. No, it's just like a funny thing for them to do, and two characters that like probably a lot of people were like, I never thought I'd see them together. Yeah, it's so like not done up, it's so done yeah. to tea that seems very random. But cool. so there was at least one episode where there was no musical guest, and Buster would just sing a song with the SNL band. There you go. Okay. And one of these times he sang "Hot Hot Hot." On, on SNL but he like it wasn't like musical guest Buster Poindexter he was just like they just didn't have a musical guest and he just played with the band I mean that's kind of the coolest thing ever yeah right pretty cool very like, cool what, what is cooler than being on SNL 
as your band, Beer on SNL, it's your band very subtly, mm-hmm. Beer on SNL. You're so cool with the cast and Lauren Michaels that you're, you're just there. Those guests that just show up and they're never a host, but they're just in a skit or two and then yeah. just head out. Like, yeah. That'd, Absolutely. That's cooler than being a host. So cool. But like such a uh, specific moment in 80s New York City. Like all these people 100%. collaborating and being together, and you know that they're all at the same places, and you know a lot of them probably were seeing the New York Dolls ten years before, hundred percent. Uh, and they were all just trying to do their. And this is still happening, but at the time, New York was such a shithole, and there was it was such a <laughs> microcosm of art and, happening, and, and more accessible, and yeah, yeah, yeah. As we can see, uh, David has had quite the acting career. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that he, he did some theater as a kid, but, um, as a teenager, but he didn't really get back into it until Buster Poindexter. Like, that's when he made a lot more connections with film and TV. And he did a lot of things. He, uh, he had a brief role on Oz on HBO. Oh, wow. Uh, he was in The Adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon. No shit. Great show. M-M, I loved that show. I had the DVD, so I have it somewhere. <laughs> uh, he did some stuff with the Muppets, which oh, doesn't what? surprise me. Uh, and as we mentioned, he was the Ghost Christmas Pass and Scrooged. Uh, he's in the movie Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfus. He's in Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. Uh, he is in Car 54, Where Are You? He was in the Emilio Estevez film Free Jack, which also had Mick Jagger in it. Oh, uh, he was in Tales from the Crypt. He was in Miami Vice. What? Um, he very recently was in a very Murray Christmas, the Bill Murray Christmas special on Netflix. Of course. Uh, he is a voice in Teen Titans. He voices the villain Ding Dong Daddy. <laughs> and if you're into this, John Lennon and Yoko Ono made a film in 1971 called Up Your Legs Forever, and his legs are in it. Okay. Of course they did. So where is he now? Well, based on the film I watched last night, David is doing his damn thing. Love it. He's got a blues band called David Johansson and the Harry Smiths. Uh, Harry Smith is a wild guy that he spent a lot of time with in New York City as a youth, like kind of a philosopher dude that threw all these parties where all these kids were at, but he was kind of old and that kind of thing. He goes into it a lot in the documentary. They talk about Harry Smith a lot. Um, There's been a number of New York Dolls reunions the last few only included original members David and Sylvain, and as of 2021, David is the last surviving member of the New York Dolls. Um, it seems like he's spending his time playing shows. Uh, like in the documentary, the the concert that Scorsese filmed is in a lounge in New York. I don't, I forget what bar it is, um, a loungy place, and um, he's pretty much doing Buster Poindexter stuff. He does some covers. He does uh, some New York Doll stuff, some David Johansson originals, but like, despite the fact that he looks, he doesn't look like Buster Poindexter anymore. I mean, he's got slick back hair, but he's like got this cool old guy look. He looks great. Um, it's still a Buster Poindexter show. It really is. It's, but, yeah. it's it's still what he's doing, it seems, even though he does it as David Johansson. Um, so yeah, it seems like he's playing shows, um, playing the blues. And uh, hanging with his wife and stepdaughter. He talks about them a lot in the movie. And uh, making art, reading spiritual works. He's a very spiritual person and 
gets a lot into that in the in the movie. Um, he did write and perform a song for the 2020 Joe Biden presidential campaign. So that's something he did recently. <laughs> okay. Um, I was gonna say so, yeah. this picture in Showtime from the documentary. He does kind of look. He has like a, a baby Billy vibe from. Oh, like I can see that. I can see that for sure. It's interesting yeah. you say that he has like a spiritual man now. Yeah. Well, he's like uh, he talks a lot about Hinduism and Taoism and um, just like the way he describes other people. Um, in fact, I'll get into it in just a second. The way he describes other people uh, that were in his life that he that he loved, like musicians and actors and whatever. Like he always just kind of has this way of describing them as oh, a great person, a great presence, like mm. had a great spirit. Like that's just how he is. He's all about energy. It's very cool. Like uh, that movie is worth watching just to hear his perspective on yeah. everything. Like it's it's super cool. Uh, he's not a he's just. He's not a cynic. Like he jokes about himself, about his career, but he's just like, he's cool. Uh, I mean, he seems like he was like just on a ride. Like had no. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like by switching up, by doing different stuff, by doing whatever songs you want, doing whatever albums you want. Like he had no direction necessarily. Like I, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to become as an artist. It was like I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, and if you like it, great. If you don't, fine. Like, yeah. I love that. And obviously, yeah. like, yeah, maybe some things have afforded him to do that, but he seems like a true musician's musician, just doing what he loves to do, having fun with it. Totally. And, like, just a performer. That's amazing. Just a performer. That's so what fun. he's doing. Uh, that that was the film that the Carlisle, Cafe Carlisle. Have you been there? Is, no, it's in the Rosewood oh. Hotel. Oh, okay. In uh, Upper East Side, it looks like. But no. well, check out the movie. The stuff they talk about, uh, like regarding New York, is just so cool. It's cool. A great. It's great. Yeah. It's on I'm Showtime. Very intrigued. I, I'm going to take a slight little like funny detour, but connecting back to the beginning of the episode, we didn't really get too much more into Arthur Killer Kane, who is the one that recruited David Johansson into the New York Dolls, and honestly, it was. Re- responsible for all this by finding him in his apartment building <laughs> yeah um so there's a there's a fresh air interview with terry gross uh and david johansson from like 15 years ago i listened to it and david talks about arthur who i think had passed at this point and he does say he's like he, he was such a spiritual person like like as a as a human like just like a presence and despite that they had their differences, he said, you know, he went through all this stuff. I can't even begin to tell you. He fell out of a window. He did this. He did that. He got hit by a car. He came out on the other side, and then he got involved with, like, the Mormons and became a library at the family history office at the Mormon Tabernacle. Okay. <laughs> He's like, he had this really demented <laughs> what? outlook what? on life. But he wasn't, you know, like a proselytizer. He was just so wonderful. And so I had to look this up. Uh, this is what happened. <laughs> As I mentioned before, Arthur like had a lot of trouble finding his place after the New York Dolls. Like He played in a bunch of pretty famous bands and here and there, but never really found like a long-term thing. Sure. And um, eventually, he kind of was starting to view David as a bit of a rival because David was having success. And a lot of his other band members were having success as well. Sure. And then when David got like really famous as Buster, um, Arthur took it really personally. 
and he grew frustrated with music. And he moved to Los Angeles and still couldn't feel like he could escape anything. And he had envy and writer's block and he was getting a divorce. And so he fell into a depression depression. And uh he saw supposedly saw David as the ghost of Christmas past and Scrooged. And he got drunk and jumped out of a window. Oh my god. But a planter box partially broke his fall. <laughs> okay. And he ended up being fine, but he had a little bit of neural damage, and I guess it affected his speech a little bit, which is interesting because David says that, like, one time when he saw him, Arthur would only say woof. He wouldn't wouldn't say anything else. He'd only say woof the whole time. Okay. So, I don't know if that's related. And then another time, well, uh, David mentions he got hit by a car. Another time, I read that uh, Arthur was walking home from a party with the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 92. And someone attacked him. And he got knocked out and was found in a ditch near his apartment. And he had to, like, go to physical therapy to learn how to walk again. Holy shit. Like, crazy shit. What the fuck? Yeah. Wildlife. Um, but he he was uh, one of the last remaining dolls. He passed away in 2014. He, he lived some lives. I wanted to end the Where Are They Now section with Time About Arrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Our man, our man Arrow, who wrote the song, and uh, was was Probably an incredible musician, and had and had so many great songs. I listened to a lot of his music. I also did listen to the full first two or only two New York Dolls albums today, and had a great time. So Arrow uh, passed away in 2014. I know. And uh, despite his global reputation, and especially in uh, Europe and the Caribbean. He remained very much a citizen of Montserrat, where he set up a record company and opened a record store, Arrow's Man Shop. <laughs> and he, he sold records and made records there, which is really cool. I love it. Um, he recorded more than 20 albums, and in 2000 was, rec- was awarded the MBE from the UK for his services to Caribbean music. So he is, he is musical royalty. Wow. Officially. Cool. Yep. Um, he also had a lot of other posthumous awards, um, from people covering his music and his songs. Oh, very cool. Um, he performed at the opening ceremony of the 2007 Cricket World Cup and decided, uh, owing to illness, that his 2008 concert at the Montserrat Cultural Center would be his last. However, he came out of retirement to perform at a Haiti relief event at the same venue that year. Oh, wow. Which is pretty neat. Yeah. Arrow's music is wild and fun and incredible and everyone should just put it on at every party you have because it's that's all it's it's just so fun yeah my takeaway is i want to listen to more more dolls and more arrow like, or dolls and more arrow i think that'd yeah. be a great that'd be that's a party just play those two <laughs> and just just play them back to back but yeah uh so david said david johansson said in the scorsese documentary um hot 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 is like the bane of my existence I don't know how I feel about it now. I haven't heard it lately. But they play it at weddings, bar mitzvahs, Six Flags. Uh, and I was thinking sporting events all the I, time. Everywhere. Um, but also, at sporting events, is I don't know if it's his or if it's Arrow's. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't I, I, I mean, now I'll try to listen more. But um, I would imagine at soccer games, it's mostly Arrow's. 
Um, he did also mention in the documentary that he was on VH1 One Hit Wonders, that show they used to have. Oh, yeah. Twice because of the animals medley <laughs> Funny. as David Johansson and then as Hot 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 Buster Poindexter. And he's like, they don't even make the connection on it. I was a one hit wonder twice and nobody knows it. <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. I did read, though, that he agreed to sing the song at his nephew's wedding, which is very endearing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. When he's Buster, he can sing whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. The unexpected is fine. Like, it's just this character yeah. that can do anything. Uh, and then David can just be David. He's got so many stories. I I, I read tons of interviews with him in like you know obviously like fresh air new yorker new york magazine and then the documentary too he tells a story in the scorsese documentary uh, about the new york dolls that um at one of their gigs i don't know which drummer it was but they were in england and they were playing and i think they're playing in newcastle and you know, Newcastle Brown is the is the beer there. And they kept handing them like those big like <laughs> cowboy cans that yeah, they have yeah. over there. And they were just drinking them and he's like, dude, I think we had ten or twelve like before <laughs> the show. And he's like, We're playing, we're we're raging, and our drummer just vomits all over his <laughs> snare drum and then just keeps playing the whole show and there's just vomit flying everywhere. And he said, That was the start of punk rock. Like that moment I mean, was yeah. was the start of punk rock, <laughs> and I think that's so that's so great. Um, and you know, I think about it like like I know we're not it's not a New York Dolls episode, but like I'm listening to them, thinking about them, and I've known about them forever. But I'm like, I realize that like the Stooges and the MC5 and Death and these bands are all happening at the same time, and I have the same question about them. But like we call it proto punk or pre punk, whatever. But like those songs I was playing you earlier, I was like. This is punk. Like, totally. do we have to start it in 77? Like, I think it was happening earlier. Like, it didn't have to be Sex Pistols, Clash, Ramones, Buzzcocks. Like, I think the New York Dolls were, were doing it before it was before it was called punk. Well, that's the thing. I think I know the New York Dolls from mainly name only, but knowing that they are a precursor to punk. And right. everything we got from that. But you're right. Like, that discredits what they were doing then. To yeah. say, like, they started something says that, that they weren't doing something on their own almost, you know? And, yeah. And, and they were. Yeah. And, like, I had no fucking clue how we would get from there <laughs> to ha ha ha. But now I absolutely do, and that's the beauty of this podcast. So it's wild. And great, you know what? What he was what podcast. he was doing was punk rock. He was like, you know, I'm just gonna play whatever I want. Like, do whatever I want. I mean, hope you guys enjoy it. Doop album and and like, yeah. all the shit. So he cool. did whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. I love that. Super cool. And I mean, love that. David Johansson. He's uh, he's a thinker. He's a poet. He's a curator of philosophy and spirit. He's he's truly a character. And many characters all at once, including himself, which I think is, um, that's the true spirit of an entertainer. Love it. He's still around? He's still around? He, does he still live in New York? Could I yep. run into him somewhere? You probably will. I will end with this bit uh, from a biography of David written by Jason Alkenny. It says, David Johansson was a true chameleon 
Throughout the course of a career which saw him transform from a lipstick-smeared proto-punk hero into an urbane blue-eyed soul man, finally into a tuxedo-clad lounge lizard, he remained a rock and roll original, unpredictable iconoclast, and a true cultural innovator. Fuck yeah. That's all I could say about David Yeah, Johansson. what else to say? Love it. Yep. There you go. Boom. That's Hot 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 by Buster Poindexter. He's a, a punk rock taco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like taco oh kind, yeah taco. kind of is though putting on the ritz i mean yeah like playing the classics david's a much cooler version of definitely definitely that's a wrap on this episode of you wanted to hit thanks for listening good luck getting that song out of your head if you enjoyed the show please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to they really help Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com, that's ywahpod.com, for updates on new episodes, and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more, and it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode, and we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywahpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible, and our theme music is by Hair Doctor. We'll see you next time.